All right, if, you, if you've got a Bible, let's open it to Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans 8, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 24 this morning. <clears throat> we are finishing today a five-week series that we've been doing this summer on the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of how a big-hearted father is taking in spiritual orphans like you and me. And though we could have never earned it for a second, by grace, is letting us sleep in his son's bed, wear his son's clothes, sit in his son's place, and get in on his son's future. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. Only for a lot of us, the day-to-day gospel that we are trying to do life on, the one that we are banking our hope on. It's only half the story. For so many of us, the gospel is just about getting out of jail, not finding a new home, about becoming right with a judge, not coming alive to a loving father, It's just about getting acquitted, not getting adopted into the best family ever. And when that's the case, when we are living on half a gospel, our our spiritual life will always feel like we are trying to breathe through one lung. And for so many of us, that's all we know. We don't even know what it would be like this morning to take in, inhale a big breath of the fresh air of the full gospel of our adoption in Jesus by grace. And yet that is exactly what God wants for you this morning. And so we have been taking five weeks to linger on the Father's love for us. And this morning, we are finishing by actually looking forward to the hope of our adoption. In this life, our adoption is real but incomplete. Uh, There are riches of the Father's adopting grace for us to enjoy right now, and yet there is so much more to come. So follow as I read Romans 8, starting in verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, When I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning is in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, 
but we ourselves. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Uh, in 1952, a long-distance swimmer named Florence Chadwick tried to swim the 26-mile gap between Catalina Island and the California coast. Now, she had already become the first woman to swim the 23-mile gap of the English Channel. In fact, she did it twice. She got to France, she touched the wall, turned around and came back. And so in 1952, Chadwick and a team with her in boats with guns to fend off any sharks stepped off of Catalina Island into the Pacific not to get out again until they got to California. Now about 15 hours in to this swim, a deep fog came over the water so thick that Chadwick couldn't see where she was swimming to. She could barely see the boats who were next to her. And she's, as she's swimming through the fog, the uncertainty of where she's trying to go starts to weigh on her. She tries pushing through it, but after about another hour of what must have felt like swimming toward nothing, nowhere, Chadwick finally exhausted uh, discouraged, frustrated, tells her team, I'm done, I quit, pull me out. Now the next day there's a news conference and someone asked them there, what happened? Why'd you quit? Why'd you stop? And Chadwick said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Where are you going? So that was Chadwick's whole problem. She couldn't see where she was going anymore. She couldn't see the end. She felt like she was just wandering aimlessly through the ocean. Where are we going? I'm not talking about a 10-year plan or a career goal. I mean, what is the future that your life is moving toward? If you're a Christian, the gospel of adoption means your GPS is set on glory. That by grace, you have an incredibly bright future right now. You have a homecoming to look forward to that will be so stunning. The Apostle Paul, the, the best mind of Christianity, can't quite even wrap his mind around all that it will be in these verses other than to say all of creation is waiting on tiptoe for you to get there. See, when the welcoming heart of the Father becomes real to you, when Jesus, his Son, becomes beautiful to you. Your life is now irreversibly moving toward glory. Only that is not how our life feels, is it? 
the suffering in our life, the wounds in our stories, the pain of our broken world makes us think either we're lost, we're going the wrong direction, or we are never gonna get there. And so Paul in these verses is filling our hearts and minds with a picture of the shore, with the glimpse of the end we are moving toward, the hope of our adoption. So there's four things that we need to see in this passage this morning. Four things. And I apologize in advance. Kids Sunday was not the Sunday for me to deviate from my normal one-word main points, but bear with me. Four things. Where we are is nothing compared to where we're going. What you feel makes perfect sense. Who will become, you'll never believe. And how we'll get there, we can already see. So first, when the Father's heart becomes our home, when by grace he makes us his children, where we are is nothing compared to where we're going. Now, the context that Paul says we live out, our new life, in our new family, is suffering. Uh, the term that Paul uses here in verse 18, is, it's broad enough to include any type of suffering that we experience as Christians. Suffering of a broken world, suffering of broken bodies, suffering of broken homes. The suffering we endure when we follow Jesus, the suffering we endure when we follow our wandering hearts. See, suffering makes us ask our Father, where are we going? Suffering is one of Satan's favorite things to, to point out in our lives when he wants to make the Father's adopted children feel like orphans again. When he wants us to make us feel like we are no longer the apple of his eye, that he is too busy off paying attention with some of his other kids. Satan gets in our ear and says, look at your life right now. Is this really how a good father takes care of his beloved kids? You know, look at how hard he's making it for you. Look at how much it costs you to be in this family. Yet, Rather than try to explain suffering or launch into some philosophical thought about it, Paul compares it. He says in 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, one author put it this way, hope in the Bible is anticipating goodness. And Paul is saying here, to start anticipating more eternal goodness from your big-hearted father than you know what to do with. There is a glory, Paul says here, that will be revealed in us. A better translation might be a glory that is in store for us. The glory that is the destination of all the father's children by grace. 
And Paul is saying here that when we think about that, when we look at that, where we are is nothing compared to where we're going. See, in the gospel of adoption, your heavenly father has big plans for you to remake you into something so stunning. All of creation can't wait for the big reveal. The worst case scenario for your future in the gospel is eternal glory with Jesus. As bad as it can ever get. And so Paul is saying here to measure your current sufferings by this glory. And when you do, it's not even worth comparing. Have you ever stayed in a bad hotel once? I remember one time when I was a kid, uh, we were driving from North Carolina back to New York on family vacation, and we stayed in a hotel that was awful. It was terrible. We got in the room and there was stuff left over from the people behind us. It was dirty, it was messed up. There was broken glass. There was a bottle of wine in the pull-out cots. I mean, Jim Gaffigan is not joking when he says the 10 commandments were written about what happened in your hotel room. Well, Teresa of Avila once said that when we think in light of the adoption glory in store for us, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in a bad hotel. Now, that is not to minimize anybody's suffering for one second. It is real, and Jesus weeps over it with you. That is just to put it in hope-filled perspective. That as Paul says, when he considers, when we see things through the faith of an adopted child by grace, your suffering right now is that bad, but where you're going is that much better. So the hope of our adoption means that where, we're, where we are is nothing compared to where we're going. And second, what you feel makes perfect sense. Paul says here that when by grace the Father wraps his arm around us and takes us home, we do something we probably didn't expect Grumble. He says in verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. Groaning, Paul says, is the family trait of the father's adopted children. And what he means here isn't so much what we say, but what we feel. There is a frustration, an irritation, an angstiness, a groaning at the brokenness of our world, at the pain, suffering, and wounds it leaves that actually identifies us as the Father's beloved sons and daughters by grace. Coming alive to the Father's love, 
coming alive to your sonship means you will actually get more frustrated at the ways that our world is not all that it should be. You know, there has never been another person more alive to the love of the Father than Jesus Christ. And there has never been another person more frustrated with the brokenness of our world than Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus never laughed off the effects of sin. Jesus never shrugged off brokenness. No, he was called a man of sorrows. Who in John 11, when he was standing before his friend's Lazarus tomb, knowing that in minutes there was about to be a party, Jesus snorted with anger at death. Who in the Sermon on the Mount said, you know who's really thriving? You know who really gets it? Who's really experiencing life to the full? Those who mourn. And Paul is saying, our sonship is entering into that angst, is joining the groaning of Jesus. You see, if you're a Christian and you look at the world and with full of compassion, you groan, you get frustrated. You have ever snorted in anger at the brokenness you see and live. What you feel makes perfect sense. Because Paul says what creates that groaning in us is the Spirit of Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is your adoption certificate. His job, Paul says here, is to build in us this eager expectation, this longing, this waiting for the homecoming of our adoption. If you're a Christian, the reason we groan is because we want what's coming. You know, a lot of times throughout the week, I get lunch with people from church, and uh, usually on those days, I will skip breakfast because I am so looking forward to whatever I'm going to eat for lunch. So the other day, Craig Thetty and I, we went to Wasushi down the road. If you've never been there, it's fantastic. They're closed for the holiday weekend, so sorry. And all day, I was eagerly awaiting a bowl of ramen from there. Uh, and my stomach was increasingly complaining to me, grumbling. While I was in the office, my attitude started getting a little more angsty, a little more hangry. Why? Because of what I knew was coming because of what I knew it was going, because of how good I knew it would be when I finally got there. Now, thought experiment, would my stomach have been groaning and complaining to me like that if what I had to look forward to lunch that day was a bowl of three-day-old leftover oatmeal? No! The better the meal the more eagerly I wait it, the louder I groan. When your adoption by grace becomes real to you, the groaning, the frustration, the angst that you feel about the brokenness of our world makes perfect sense. 
This passage is permission to complain. You heard it from me. Not to be cynical. That's where I go. Not to despair, but to honestly, truthfully name the places where our world is not all that it should be. Because Paul is saying, the more in touch you are with the Holy Spirit, the more you will mourn, the more you will lament, the more frustrated you will get. You know, the most hope-filled thing you can do on the drive home today is grumble. Because you know what's coming next is adoption glory on this earth, and we want to get there already. So in the gospel of adoption, when the Father, by grace, takes us home, names us as children, and writes us into his will, it means where we are is nothing compared to where we're going. What you feel makes perfect sense. And what will become, you'll never believe. If you're a Christian, your adoption is real and secure, but right now it is not complete. There is so much more to come. Paul says we are eagerly awaiting the completion of our adoption, the homecoming the welcoming presence of our good and gracious Father, which Paul says in verse 23, will happen with the redemption of our bodies. And what he's talking about here is the resurrection. When we will be raised and transformed into someone so spiritually, physically stunning. If you're a Christian through the Father's extravagant grace, on the day his son Jesus returns, you will become as lovely and as loving as Jesus. The hope of adoption is not just to have by grace and grace alone the status of God's son, but to also have the heart of his son, the body of his son. It's to finally be free from the wounds of our story, from the wanderings of our hearts, from the weakness of our bodies. It will be so great. You will become so great that Paul says in verse 19, all of creation is on the edge of their seat to get to meet you. It's this hope that Paul is saying in verse 24, we were saved with. The moment you became a Christian, God planted in your heart this eager expectation, this certain anticipation of goodness, of resurrection, of our adoption glory when we will finally, fully bear the family image. And you know what this means? This means we can trust our Father with where He is taking us. It means we can trust what the Father is doing in us right now. Because we know He will bring to completion the good work that He has begun in us. 
You see, if we know that our adoption papers have been signed by the blood of Christ, that by grace, the Father has the same delight in us right now that he does his own son, Jesus, and has promised us the same resurrection future he's given his son, Jesus, then that means we can go with him today wherever our story needs to go. There is not a sin or wound in this room that is beyond the reach of the Father's adopting grace. There is no sin or suffering in this room that can derail you from one day experiencing the adoption glory the Father has for you. See, when our future is sure, it means that we can go with the Father into the wounds of our story and the wanderings of our hearts where he wants to most make you alive to his love because we know where he's taking us through it. And it is the goodness of our adoption glory. But how can we be sure we'll arrive where he's taking us? How can we know we'll get there? Last point. How we'll get there, we can already see. You see, the story of the Bible is actually one big story of adoption. In Genesis 1, the father creates Adam, his son, and puts him in paradise, where the father gives him everything he needs to enjoy life with him, to enjoy life as his son. But it can get even better. The father promises Adam an inheritance. He tells him that if Adam obeys him, God will glorify him. That he will give Adam an even more beautiful and breathtaking experience of being his son. And not only for him, but for every person to come from him, we will experience the blessings of sonship. It's what's called the covenant of works. Well, we know how the story goes. Adam fails. He disobeys. And all of humanity with him becomes spiritual orphans, wandering around without a home, with the void in our hearts of a good and gracious father that we can never really fill. Until Jesus comes. When the Father's eternal Son becomes human and endures an even harder test than Adam had to. See, Adam got it easy. He had to obey in paradise. Jesus had to obey in a world that had become wrecked by sin, where suffering and temptation defined his life, and he obeyed his Father perfectly. He bore the family image completely. And so with love in his heart, he went to the cross where the only one who ever rightly belonged in the family died for orphans like me and you. 
was crucified for the sins of you and me who had ran from home, wandered off from the Father's heart and were not looking over our shoulder to come back. And three days later, Paul writes in Romans 1, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and Paul says he became in that moment the second Adam who passed the test, who entered into goodness, resurrection glory, the blessings of sonship, the the adoption glory that the first Adam failed to get for us because Jesus needed it. Because there was something missing in Jesus' perfect, eternal, pre-existent relationship with his father? No. Because Jesus wanted you to enjoy life with his father with him. So this is how we know we'll get to where we're going. This is how we can be sure we will walk in the fullness of our adoption. Because our big brother went before us and is taking us with him. See, the plan of the Bible is for the father of love to one day live on this earth with his family forever. But to stand in the father's presence, you have to be glorified. You have to look like his son And when we trust in Jesus, he dresses you for the occasion. That one day, he will clothe you in the grace robe of his own resurrection glory. Hold out his hand and say, come on. Let's go see dad. Where are we going? Home. Don't you want to be home? Let's pray. Father, thank you that in the gospel of adoption, by grace, our future is incredibly bright. That one day, your son who won the blessings of sonship for us, will come back, resurrect us into something stunning. Hold out his hand and take us into your presence. Father, fill us with that hope, with that certain expectation of where we're going. And let us follow you right now in the wounds and the wanderings that we experience because we know the goodness that you have in store for us in the gospel. Amen.